or history or gender or socioeconomic status or politics or any other distinguishing characteristic that the good news of Jesus is good news for them. So we've been talking, Jesus reveals heaven. That's just good news. Jesus reveals heaven. Jesus invites us into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it possible for us to become citizens of heaven. Jesus demonstrates the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it possible also for us then to live as citizens of heaven. Jesus forgives sin. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus reveals the true intent of the law of Moses. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. And all of this teaching that Jesus has been doing, all of this teaching that Jesus has been doing has created quite a following. And it's also created quite a controversy. And so this morning, we're going to see that the good news of Jesus demands something of us. It demands a change in perspective, and it demands a change in behavior. It demands a change in how we live. So we're going to pick up again in Luke chapter 6. You got your Bibles. We're going to be there in just a second. Let's talk about Jesus' disciples and apostles. Jesus had many, many disciples. A disciple is a follower. It's someone who claims to follow the teachings of a certain individual, a certain leader. In Israel, there were many rabbis and teachers, and, and these, these, these students of the law would, would claim to be a disciple of a certain rabbi, of a certain teacher. I'm a disciple of, of, of Gamaliel, they would say. We have disciples today. What do I mean by that? We have people who follow others today. So I don't really follow anybody. I'm not a disciple. Let me just ask you a simple question. Who shapes your opinion? Who shapes your perspective? Who shapes your views on life? Who shapes your opinion on on politics or on sexual issues or on abortion or on politics or on economic status or on war or on, who shapes your perspectives on how to live? Who 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 is your rabbi? Who are you following? Is it that YouTuber? Is it that podcaster? Is it that talk radio personality? Is it that Instagram influencer? Is it that TikTok influencer? Is it that musician or that artist? Is it that actor? Is it that preacher? Is it that Twitter account? Who shapes your thought life? Is it that politician? Who shapes your thought life? It's an important question. And here's why it's an important question. Because whoever shapes your thought shapes your belief. And whoever shapes your belief shapes your behavior. And whoever shapes your behavior shapes your destiny. So who is your rabbi? Who are you discipled by? Who are you? 
disciple up? It's the most important question you can ask yourself because it has eternal significance. And if you aren't being influenced by the life and the teachings of Jesus, you are not really a disciple or follower of Jesus. We claim to be Christians, but are we disciples? Are we followers of the way, the truth, and the life? Being a disciple does not mean that you've mastered everything that's taught by your teacher. It doesn't mean you've mastered everything taught, but it means that you are surrendered to practicing the life taught by the teacher. Until the day when that teacher, our Lord and Savior, returns and we are fully perfected in Christ Jesus. What do I mean by practice? You guys have all gone to a doctor. Doctors do what? They practice medicine. They're constantly learning. And they're constantly putting into practice what they learn. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is consistently learning and devoted to putting into practice what they are learning by Jesus, what has been taught by Jesus. So Jesus had many disciples. We even actually see in John's gospel, in John chapter 6, verse 66, that many turned and left Jesus because his teachings were too hard. So they were disciples of Jesus, they were listening to Jesus, and then one day Jesus started talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and they said, hold up, I'm out. And they turned and they walked away from Jesus. Jesus was talking about communion with them, which we receive here every Sunday at New City Church. Being a disciple is putting into practice the teachings and the life that has been demonstrated by our teacher. So, all right, let's dig in. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. During those days, Jesus went out to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So again, all of these disciples were following Jesus, and there were so many of them. And they were taking in the words and the miracles of Jesus, and and Jesus sees all of these disciples, all of these followers, and Jesus goes to the mountain, and he prays, and he seeks the Father, because he knows that he has work to be done, and he knows that he needs some some folks who are going to be committed to him, that are going to, that are going to be, that are going to be invested in him, that he is going to be able to pour into on a, on a more regular, consistent basis, that they're going to do life together, a phrase we like to say around, around the church world. Let's do life together. If you're not in church, that's a weird kind of thing to say. 
just walk up to your coworker and say, hey, let's do life together. But that's not, right? But Jesus chose these 12 that they were, they were actually going to spend time together. They were going to do life together. And he was going to invest in them. And they were going to be able to, to be his apostles. That's what he calls them, apostles. Apostle means messenger. It means one who is sent. It means someone who is commissioned on behalf of someone else to go and represent that person. So these apostles were representatives. They were ambassadors of Jesus. And so Jesus even sent them out. He always sent other disciples out as his ambassadors. But he was calling these 12 men to a particular assignment, a messenger. Now, there's still the calling of messenger. There's still the calling of apostle. We read about it in, in, in Corinthians and, and in Ephesians. It is still a gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. Pastors are generally gifted in this gifting of apostle, one who is sent. Missionaries are gifted in this gifting of apostle, one who is sent on a mission. Now, it's not the same way as these first apostles, these capital A apostles, we'll call them, not the same that they were commissioned or sent. Those apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus. Those apostles even wrote some of the books of Scripture. Those apostles had a unique and a special mission. But part and part of their mission, part of the job of those 12 apostles was to go and make disciples. And we'll talk about making disciples again. But but I do want you to notice and to understand that when they were called to make disciples, they weren't called to make disciples of themselves. They were called to make disciples of Jesus. And so these, these many disciples were following Jesus. Jesus has chosen 12 that were going to be apostles that were going to do, do life with Jesus that he was going to invest in as they were going to become the sort of the corner piece of, of what the church would become. And so all of these disciples, all of these people are following Jesus. So, so Jesus' followers, they, they follow Jesus and they get to experience Jesus. All these disciples were, were experiencing the teachings and the miracles and the healings and the demonic delivering power of Jesus. Verse 17 of Luke chapter 6. After coming down with them, he stood in a little place. That's where these 12 that he had just chosen. He stood down in a little place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Now they all came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. And the whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Listen. Listen, if you want to experience the things of God, you have to hang out in the presence of God. You will not experience the healing of God if you don't spend time in the presence of God. You will not experience the peace of God if you don't spend time in the presence of God. You will not experience the miracle that you are seeking from God if you're not spending time in the presence of God. You won't get what you need from Jesus if you're not hanging out with Jesus. 
if you're not spending time in the presence of Jesus. And you can make up all the excuses you can think of. You can make up all the excuses you can dream up as to why you don't spend time in the presence of Jesus. But if you don't stop making excuses, you will not experience all God has for you in Christ Jesus. You can make excuses as to why you don't have time to read your Bible. You can make excuses as to why you don't have time to pray. You can make excuses as to why you don't have time to go to, to, go to church. You can make excuses as to why you don't have time to, 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 to get into small group or into Bible study. But if you do not make time to be in the presence of Jesus, don't expect to experience the presence of Jesus. No more excuses. You can blame your kids. You can blame your church hurts. You can blame your spouse. You can even blame your preacher. But ultimately, church, if you want to experience all that God has for you, you have to figure out a way to stop making excuses and get into the presence of Jesus. God has more for you understand or can realize there is something special about being in the crowd. There is something special about being with other disciples and having the shared experience of being in the presence of Jesus and encountering Jesus together. There is something special about your one-on-one devotional time. There's something special about that that quiet time that you spend one-on-one with Jesus. You just open up your Bible, and you're just praying, and you're just meditating. There is something special and unique about that individual alone time with Jesus, but there is also something special and unique about the corporate gathered together worship and encounter with Jesus as well. There's something that God does in the presence of believers, and there is something that God does when we are just in spending time alone with him. God meets us in unique ways, and he wants to meet us in his presence. He invites us and welcomes us into his presence, and he welcomes us in the one-on-one time, and he welcomes us in the group time, in the corporate gathering, when the body gathers together. Because listen, we don't recognize who the arm is, or who the the ear is, or who the, the leg is. We don't understand, and we can't fully operate in our giftings as the body if we're not gathered as the body. We can't bear one another's burdens as the body if we're not gathered as the body. We can't pray for one another and anoint one another and lay hands on one another. We can't do that if we're not gathered as the body. So there is a special thing that God does. He inhabits the praises of his people when we gather together. So there's something special that God does when we gather together as a body. And then there are special things that God does that are unique to our individual one-on-one times with God alone in our devotions and our quiet times and in our prayers. And when we're just driving in the car and we crank up the worship music and we're just singing and crying and, and speaking in tongues and praising God. There's something special God does in those And it is in this gathering together with all of these disciples who had followed and met with Jesus that Jesus not only works miracles, but Jesus teaches us what it looks like to be a disciple. There is teaching that happens in this corporate setting. 
And so Jesus' disciples listened. Jesus' disciples listened. There's a lot of talk about being a disciple. Jesus doesn't just draw crowds so he can say how large his Sunday service is. Jesus doesn't just draw crowds so he can say, look at all these people. Jesus doesn't draw crowds because he's trying to reach a certain level of verification on his social media platform of choice, right? He draws crowds because he wants to reveal the kingdom of heaven. And if you're, if you're taking notes, I would write this down. Part of kingdom revelation is kingdom demonstration. Part of kingdom revelation is kingdom demonstration. That's miracles, healings. It's feeding the poor, reaching out to those in need. It's activity that mirrors what heaven would look like. And part of kingdom revelation is what we call kingdom proclamation. So you've got kingdom demonstration and kingdom proclamation. Kingdom proclamation is teaching and proclaiming what the good news looks like, what what kingdom living looks like. So as the people of God, we should reveal the kingdom of God, both in demonstration and in proclamation. That's what Jesus does. So this morning, we have worshiped the Lord, we have sung his praises, we have given him the offering. This morning now, we're going to listen to some gospel presentation, some gospel proclamation, some of Jesus' kingdom living this morning. As Jesus' disciples, Jesus is teaching us kingdom, kingdom living. And so, we're going to continue in this. Jesus is now preaching to the crowd, teaching to these crowds that have gathered. And this is actually Luke's account of the the Beatitudes. You know the Beatitudes, the blessed are these people, blessed are those who are recorded in Matthew chapter 5. This is Luke's account of Jesus preaching and teaching these Beatitudes, these blessed. Blessed are you, blessed are you. That's what Beatitudes means, the blessed. The blessed are you, right? So Jesus has all these disciples. He's chosen these apostles. All these disciples have gathered to to hear, to listen, to follow, because they're followers of Jesus. And so Jesus is going to give his disciples, all of them, instruction on what kingdom living looks like. The blessed. So let's look. Let's start. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Looking up at his disciples, not just the 12, but that multitude that has gathered, he said to them, he said, blessed are you who are poor. Because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap joy. Take note. Your reward is great in heaven for this 
away their ancestors, used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. And woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. And woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way of their ancestors, used to treat the false prophets. These are the blessings, the beatitudes, the teachings of kingdom life. And we're going to be digging through this over the next couple of weeks, these teachings of Jesus here. But these are blessings and warnings. Blessed are the poor. Jesus, when he says blessed are the poor, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And listen, he's talking to those who have put their trust in God. He is literally, though, talking to poor people. He is talking to people who are financially, economically poor. They are under the rule of the Roman authorities. They are being being extorted for extra taxes. They're having to pay Caesar under the oppressive rule of Caesar. And they are, many of them, many of them are literally poor. Financially poor. The cost of feeding their donkeys has risen skyrocketed over the past month. Let's gas for the car. And they are literally Because your poverty now doesn't mean poverty forever. There is hope for the poor, Jesus is saying. Not because of some brand new economic policy, but because of God's eternal economy. It does not mean that we should not work to help those in poverty, either through economic policy or personal benevolence. And you'll you'll see that in a minute. But the hope for the poor is that in eternity, all their needs will be supplied, and they will never be in lack. They will never be in need. What we do, church, is we take... We take the the Bible literally, many of us, we take the Bible literally until it starts talking about blessed are the poor. We're like, he's not really talking about money. He wants us to be rich. But he says, blessed are the poor. You're being wealthy, you're being poor. That's not the point. The point is holy living we use our wealth or how we use our poverty demonstrates our holiness and our relationship with God. You can be be righteous in your wealth or you can be righteous
righteous in your poverty, you could also be unrighteous in your wealth and unrighteous in your poverty. But Jesus says if you're poor, is not for riches in this life. Your hope is for riches in All of the kingdom is yours. You are co-heirs with Christ. And then he says, blessed are the hungry. Why are the, why are the hungry blessed? Because you won't be hungry forever. My God will satisfy all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You will be satisfied. God will not forget you. There is a great wedding feast ahead, and you will eat and be full. Blessed are you who are hungry. Because God will not forget you. God will meet you. God will restore you. God is going to split these kingdoms. And those who have won't have. And those who have little will have much. Then he says, blessed are you who weep. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Your sorrow will not have the last word. You are blessed. There is laughter ahead for you. If you are mourning now, if you are in sorrow now, know that there is laughter ahead. There is rejoicing ahead. You weep now, but you are blessed because the tears you have sown will produce a garden of rejoicing. God sees your tears. He holds them all. He captures them all. He sees them. Then he says, blessed are those who are rejected because of Jesus. Rejoice because you may be rejected now, but you will be received and rewarded into a great dwelling place with him. Rejoice because you are as much as worthy as the prophets of old. Rejoice because God has not forgotten you. God will reward you. God sees your faith. God sees your perseverance. God sees your steadfastness. God sees your faithfulness. God sees you and great is your reward in heaven. What so many of us lose sight of is that eternity demand it in the temple. And oftentimes when God doesn't do in the temporary what he has promised to do in the eternal, we don't see But God has promised that great is your reward in heaven. If you are faithful. We want the reward now. I want it too. And sometimes the reward, at least in part, comes now. But if we can hold on to the fullness that we receive, it doesn't even compare to what we receive. Are faithful. But then Jesus has just, so Jesus has just 
told us these blessings, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And it's not the people we would automatically think are blessed. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. We look at the person driving that new, that new, that new uh, Bronco or that new Tesla or the person that can afford to fill up their Hummer. And we look at them and we're like, their, ha- their license plate says blessed. And we're like, yep, hashtag blessed. But Jesus says blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. And we spiritualize this. Like, Jesus is talking about the spiritually poor. Jesus is talking about the spiritually hungry. Jesus is talking to real people who are really poor and really hungry. And he says you're blessed. got to shift our thinking. And then Jesus and Jesus have just given us these blessed, and now Jesus is going to give us some words. Just some words. There are blessings for his disciples, but these are all, there are also warnings for those who follow him. A woe is a warning. A woe is a warning. The first woe is preaching what Jesus says here, right? The first woe is woe to the rich. Woe to the rich. And I get it. Every one of us wants to be rich. The question is, do we have money or does our money have us? Jesus says woe to the rich because why? You've received your comfort. You've received your comfort. You're rich. You're hoarding it up. You're hoarding it up, and you're wealthy, and you're rich, and you are not helping the poor. You aren't using your wealth in ways that brings help to the poor and to the needy. You aren't using your wealth in ways that advance the kingdom of God. You aren't using your wealth to do good. You're using your wealth to make you comfortable, and you're hoarding your wealth. God gives them a warning. Woe to you. You've received all your comfort here and now. If you are not using your wealth in ways that glorify God, God says your comfort is now, not eternal. That's the warning. You've received your comfort. If you hoard your wealth and are selfish in hoarding your wealth, Hoarding is your comfort. Well, you might say, well, well, well what's that even mean? What, what's it mean to be rich? I mean, rich in America is rich than being rich in Sweden or rich in Sudan or rich in Mexico. Cultures are different. Society is different. Income levels are different. What does it even mean to be rich? about income brackets and poverty levels and wealth accumulation? What does it even mean to be rich? I've got all this money in stocks. I've got all this money in my 401k. and I've got all this. What does it even mean to be rich? Here's what I believe Jesus is saying. Again, Jesus is speaking to the heart and the intent of the kingdom. We talked about it last week when Jesus was revealing the the truth and the grace and he was healing on the Sabbath. He was revealing the heart and the intent of the law. 
Jesus is revealing the heart and intent of the kingdom. I believe Jesus is saying this. If in your abundance you aren't willing to give in tangible, costly ways, you are in danger of making wealth an idol. I don't believe God's calling us to live in poverty. Many of the disciples in this early church, many members of the early church, many of his first disciples, they were, they were wealthy people. They helped finance and fund the work of the church and the work of the kingdom, and they were, they were doing good and helping their neighbors. I don't believe God is asking us to disregard the needs of our families or to make sure that, that our bills are paid. I don't believe God is requiring, requiring us to, to live in poverty. But I believe God is warning us through Christ Jesus that Jesus is warning us to check our hearts for idols of wealth. Are we helping those in need when we are able and where we are able? Are we giving to advance the ministry of the church? And, and we're not to see wealth as a sign of godliness, but as a tool to be used for godliness. You hear that? Not to see wealth as a, as a symbol of godliness, but to see wealth as a tool to be used for godliness. So I believe what God's going to do is that we see this blessed are the, the poor, but woe to the wealthy. I, I believe that, that if there are policies and, 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 and activities that and hoarding of wealth, that God will judge that. God will judge that. I can't give my wealth to everyone, but I should be willing to help. If a need is, is presented to me and I can help, I should help. see it in, in, in the Old Testament. You see it in the prophets. One of the reasons that God would bring judgment on Israel because they would, they would, they would use dishonest scales to measure why. So the person gets a little bit wealthier off of taxes or the offering. those who are full. The warning is, if you're full, you're full. The warning is, you'll be hungry. If you are satisfied in the things of this world, when this world ends, you will be hungry. If you are satisfied in this life, when this life is over, you will be hungry. If the things of this world are where you look to find fulfillment and satisfaction, you will walk away empty and dissatisfied. Your job, your your relationships, your friendships, your wealth, your 
sex life, your, your pride, your reputation, your ability to close a deal, your ability to catch the biggest fish or score the winning goal or earn that degree. If you place your hopeful fulfillment in those things, even if in those things have, have value in this life, even if those things are not bad things in and of themselves, if your ultimate goal is placed in anything other than your position and your identity in Christ Jesus, those things will leave you hungry again. The warning here is a warning against eternal satisfaction. Think you can find satisfaction in anything other than Christ Jesus and your position and identity in Him will be wrecked. When he says, woe to you who are laughing, it's a warning they will Scripture teaches us to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. Jesus is saying if we are ignoring the sorrow around us and behaving as if the hurt isn't our problem, we've had our last bite. Jesus is saying if we make excuses as to why we don't have to listen to the concerns of our hurting neighbors, our sorrow will be eternal. If we ignore the tears of our brothers and sisters, we will have eternal sorrow. I really think we should listen more. I really think we should love more. If we aren't willing to listen, aren't willing to weep. And here's the, here's, here's the truth. We won't be willing to weep long enough He says, woe to you when people speak well of you. It is another warning. He says, don't let flattery deceive you. Don't let praise of people be a more powerful motivator in your life than living in a way that pleases the Father. And, and this warning goes across the spectrum, right? We, we, think of false, we think false prophets only speak one way. We think false prophets only speak in ways that someone else is going to believe. I would never listen to that. I'd never listen to that. We think false prophets only speak in ways that affirm doctrines that we know are false. But what if a false, a false prophet speaks in ways that sounds biblical or moral or spiritual, but really appeals to our pride? Let me say that again. What if false prophets 
speak in ways that sound biblical or moral or spiritual, but really appeal to our This is why we must be careful not to base truth on the approval of men. Truth is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus alone has the word of life. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus equally offends every side that isn't the kingdom. Right? left, middle, Jesus offends them all. Because the kingdom of heaven cannot neatly fit in the systems of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom does not fit in the systems of this world. It never has and it never will. When we long for the approval of men, we have lost sight of the ministry and the mission of Jesus. When I long for the approval of men, no matter what side of the issue I may be on, if I long for the approval of men and I look to score points from my side more than demonstrating the grace and the truth of Jesus, I have received all the approval I will receive, and I will receive no approval from Jesus. Everyone must guard against. If it appeals to the flesh, we must guard against it. If it appeals to our pride, if it appeals to our arrogance, if it appeals to those pleasures that aren't in line with God's revealed gospel offices. There are these blessings and these warnings. And I want you to notice something this morning. Maybe you've noticed it already. But Jesus has drawn parallels between the blessed and the woe. Maybe you've noticed it. You've got the poor and the rich in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. And in Luke chapter 6, 24. Remember? Verse 20, look up beside me and bless you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. And in Luke 6, 24, he says, Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your comfort. So he is drawing these, these opposites, these kingdom opposites. The blessed and the woe. Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Then he, he does the same with the hungry and the full. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you'll be filled. Blessed are you, or, or woe to you who are now full, for you'll be hungry. He's drawing these, these, these parallels, these opposites. And he's saying, listen, this is what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom of heaven looks like this. The kingdom of self looks like this. Then he draws a parallel. Weeping and laughing. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. But woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. And then this other parallel, this other opposite, rejected and approved. Blessed are you when people hate you because of the Son of Man. And then, woe to you 
Those people speak well of you. Jesus is drawing our attention to two kingdoms. Jesus is drawing our attention to two ways of living. Jesus is drawing our attention to two agendas. Jesus is drawing our attention to two ways of discipleship. The discipleship of Christ and the discipleship of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus is drawing our attention to the blessings and the warnings. Jesus is drawing our attention to two gospels. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven and the false gospel of self. And Jesus, Jesus is inviting us into the blessed gospel. Jesus is inviting us into kingdom Blessed and warning who has given to his disciples. He says, I want to experience all the blessings of the kingdom that follow. It may not make sense now. It may not be comfortable now. It may not look like a palace now. It may not look like heaven now, but hold on, be faithful, trust me, the kingdom of heaven is Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for teaching us what it means to be blessed and for giving us the warnings so that we stay away from the things that we should. I pray, God, right now for your people that we would be disciples of you, that you would be the one who we follow, that you would be the one who we let influence us, that we would follow
Thank you. 